rather you live your life in vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, and I'm joined today by Deacon Ronnie Lostavica, a deacon of the Diocese of Austin, and we are in our third episode of four, a look back over six years of serving as a volunteer priest in the restorative justice ministry in our diocese, primarily by serving the incarcerated in the prisons of Gatesville, Texas, and the corrections officers there working in uh, those facilities. In our first couple of episodes, we went into the discernment process of uh, saying yes to going into volunteer ministry in the prison setting. And in the second episode, we touched on the what I called the learning curve, the things that you as a person that have never really experienced prison, even if you've been to, to a county jail or a city jail, different animal when you go into a prison setting for multiple numbers of years and uh, what that's like. You know, what are some of the things that you you learned that you, you had never been exposed to before? Today, uh, having gone over those items, uh, the best practices as we've learned them so far, this doesn't exhaust the list of best practices, but it's the ones that we've kind of gotten our arms around in the in the time that we've been working in restorative justice ministry for a volunteer to keep their head on straight, to keep their wits about them, to keep their heart in a good place and their spirits strong because the exposure to the life in prison can uh, rattle your cage some, can uh, cause some questioning in different aspects of your faith life. And you just want to be able to kind of have something in place where you're ready to, to go to uh, for when, a day when you're rattled, a, a day when you're particularly enthusiastic, and then the next week you go and it doesn't look as quite as well. You know, just what are the best practices uh, for volunteers? So, Father Harry, if there was one top recommendation that you would make to prospective volunteers in the restorative justice ministry as regards to healthy volunteer service, what would that be? The word starts with a B, boundaries. And then number two would be boundaries. And the top third recommendation would be boundaries. boundaries. Yes, we are all on board with that. So what do we mean by boundaries? Well, when you go into the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, you are required, if you're going to do it for any more than, than one time, you're required to take a training. And a whole chunk of that training is exactly that, about boundaries. Um, when you don't have uh, much of an awareness of how things work on the inside of a prison, you don't have the benefit of knowing how boundaries work in the prison. Uh, think about when you got married and you got introduced to your wife or husband's families and you grew up with your family in a way that boundaries were expressed in certain ways. Like, for instance, your family uh, was would never – the children would never call their parents by their first names. You know, they wouldn't say, hi, hi, Chuck. You know, you'd say, hi, dad. Uh, and, and But you go to another family and everybody goes by the first names. Very different sets of boundaries. Well, it's similar in the incarcerated life. We on the outside share some similar boundaries with those on the insides, and we on, on the outside don't share some of, of the same boundaries. It's also a function or a reality of just knowing 
how to care for people in a different setting and life experience than the one that you're accustomed to. And what you think may be universal might not necessarily be in terms of what's considered um, being too forward, uh, too aggressive with uh, uh, words, uh, of uh, inappropriate uh, invitation to conversation topics. Um, want to learn your boundaries. You want to talk to people that have already been serving and have learned uh, what is effective as people bringing the good news of Jesus Christ into these people's lives so that your lack of an understanding of what good boundaries are for this ministry doesn't undermine that, which it most certainly can. So you want to learn what those are, um, things like, and we mentioned, uh, actually didn't get to it in a previous episode, and I meant to, uh, learning about on the learning curve thing. Uh, one of the things is, is uh, you learn, for instance, that by and large, it is a boundary violation when you're going into a prison unit to walk up to someone who's serving time and saying, oh, hi, Susan, what you in for? How long are you going to be here? You know, that kind of thing. I might ask how long you're going to be here. But one thing you don't ask people is what is their crime? You let them tell you that. That is one of those boundaries that's there. It may not make sense to you until you've been around the, the circumstances of people uh, living in prison. One of the things you come to understand why that particular boundary is there is that certain crimes are held in less regard than other crimes. So people who have committed sexual assault against a minor are going to be held in a different view by other incarcerated people than someone who uh, embezzled $2 million over some scam. So the what I did to get myself in prison reality is a sensitivity. It's something that's very personal. It can set a, a course for how a person is treated while they do their time, how they're categorized, all of that kind of thing by their fellow inmates, I mean, and by the institution as well. So that's a boundary that those of us who have never experienced these things might never even think of. Um, the state teaches you other boundaries, like, you know, you don't violate the rules that are there. That if you start as a volunteer to break those boundaries, you set yourself up for people to be able to push you further and further along in breaking even more boundaries to the point that you're in over your head, you don't know how to get out of it, and um, you're, you're afraid of being found out that you've done all these transgressions of rules and regulations. Sticking to boundaries that are inherent to what you understand on the one hand, but the new ones that you need to learn is a really important aspect of keeping yourself in a good state of affairs as you serve. In addition to boundaries, um, and obviously that's a big one uh, for healthy practices, what else? Well, I thought of three things, and this doesn't, again, doesn't exhaust the list, uh, list but one of them is reliability. In the, the prison world, so many things are kind of up for grab. Uh, schedules are, for, are up for grab. If, if uh, certain things in the way that, that a given unit is being operated get, get upset, that can upset the timing for services, including food and religious services and, and going to work or, or uh, having a day off, all this kind of thing. People count on you to be there if you say you're going to be there. This isn't um, the same as other things that we might volunteer in our parish setting or in our diocesan setting. When you tell folks that are incarcerated that you, as that breath of fresh air 
that's coming in from the outside, bringing a different look, bringing, bringing a different attitude, bringing a different perspective, uh, somebody that, that's not in the same culture and environment that these folks are living in, they count on that happening. So it is not a good and healthy practice to say, oh, well, that's just prison, so I'll, I'll not go because I need to do this instead. If you're going to commit to the volunteer work, you need to commit to being faithful to the discipline of going and being there. And if you can't, because there can be legitimate reasons, you get sick, flat tire, the weather's bad, whatever, icy roads, whatever it might be, you do the due diligence to notify the unit that you're not going to be able to show up. That at least is a form of reliability that the inmates know that if you can't be there, they're going to know why. Because as time rolls on and the investment of relationship grows with appropriate boundaries, people begin to care for one another. You care for the people you serve and they care for you. So if you can't be there, they're going to wonder what's going on. Keep in mind what many of their lives have been like. When people haven't shown up in their lives, a lot of times the answer to the question why is really bad, like they got shot and killed or they've been arrested again or any number of things like that. So with us being aware of those things, you want to take reliability very seriously. Keeping those commitments is is very important. A second one outside of boundaries is patience. Um, Going into the, the incarcerated environment with who you are, that's all we have to bring, so we have to bring who we are, is going to try your patience. Uh, A lot of the ways that the rhythm of life goes on in the prisons uh, is is going to rattle your cage, is going to get under your skin. There's going to be folks that are expert at all of the above, and they're going to see you as a fresh target to try out their best practices on making you upset and, and pull your hair out and all those good things. And knowing that, you just you, you've got to try and be patient. And I will freely admit, and I, hopefully for any of our incarcerated folks that have known me in the past, they're probably shaking their heads and having a good laugh over me talking about patience um, that that was challenging for me. I mean, there were times that it was really difficult for me to be patient with any number of circumstances. I mean, I'm human and I've got my own weaknesses and those show themselves up. Uh, they get flushed out in prison pretty quick as a, as a volunteer. So knowing yourself, uh, what your triggers are for when you become impatient, saying a prayer to God, asking the Holy Spirit, calling on the Blessed Mother, uh, praying for the grace to, to just keep it together and not get too high or too low, but just keep that even keel uh, so that as you provide the heart of what our ministry is, the ministry of presence, you can have patience with yourself. You can have patience with other people. If something isn't going to get done today, we're going to be here next week. We'll try and get it done then. If they go on lockdown and you don't get get them for, for a month and the big retreat that you planned is, is squashed and, and doesn't get to be done for another year, you, you take it as an act of fasting. I'm going to have to fast from the, the excitement that I had for this retreat. Uh, all of these are, are ways to be able to sow patience in. Um, you want to give the incarcerated and the officers what God knows they need, not necessarily what you think they need. And patience will help you get there. Uh, last one in this this list, the short list, is processing. And we talked a little bit about processing in the last uh, episode for uh, uh, the just uh, uh, being able to conduct yourself through that learning curve. But processing, take time. 
as a volunteer to talk about your experiences visit to visit. When I was in the seminary in Southern Indiana at St. Minerid, uh, there was a group of us that went to pray at an abortion clinic uh, pretty much every Saturday in um, Louisville, Kentucky. And it was intense. The National Organization of Women was there with a big cadre of people as escorts bringing the ladies in. We were on the other side of the street. Police were there to keep us separated. Those were, were uh, very impressful events for us. So what we would do is after we prayed the rosary and were completed, we would go and have a meal somewhere. And we would just sit down and talk to one another about what was that experience like? Um, what impressions did, you know, what seeing women going in to, to commit, the, commit that act um, for the ones that didn't go, you know, and the, and the way that you would feel when someone decided because of your presence there that they weren't going to go through with the abortion that they had planned. All of these things were really good for us to talk about. I would say that's a very good practice for, for our volunteers. A lot of times if you go in carpools, because these uh, prisons in our diocese aren't always near places, and so you're driving a distance, um, that drive time is a golden opportunity to talk as you get prepared to go in about last time and any lingering thoughts you had. And then immediately after you come out on your way home, being able to just go on and put on the table how you're thinking, what you're feeling. Um, this is also something that is well done to take into prayer, that processing through your prayer. Make it part of when you're doing your ordinary prayer routine, if it's in front of the Blessed Sacrament, if it's praying the rosary, if it's divine mercy, if you've got a prayer group, if it's, it's public prayer in terms of the Mass, Allow yourself to bring the experiences and the ways those experiences have rested in you or not rested, that maybe that made you restless, bring those to prayer as well. And you'll be in, in a much better place to be able to keep the, the bigger picture, but also your, yourself in the right place for the next time that you go in to serve. Father Harris, share with us some of the certain ways that you conduct your own processing as a priest. Well, over time, um, the church in her wisdom has shared with priests ways in which we are to practice what I just described for restorative justice ministry for the whole of our ministry. Of course, our vow to pray the liturgy of the hours on a daily basis is a structured presence that avails itself to a daily reality that you know is going to be there, that you can bring to the table the things of your priestly ministry that you want to lay before God. And you let the prayer of the church that the liturgy of the hours is, the, the knowledge that your brother priests all over the world are praying the same set of prayers by and large that you're praying and that you're one with them. So that's one of the practices is the prayer of the church and my acknowledgement that I as an individual priest are part of a much larger body of Christ. So I'm not alone. And that a lot of other priests are experiencing some of the same things, good and bad, that I might be experiencing on, on any given day. Uh, among more concrete things, uh, there's what we call an examine. And examines are many. There are different forms of examines. I would liken it to different forms of examinations of conscience, and it's kind of like an examination of conscience. But you can find different saints that have their own examines, and one I was introduced to was a St. Francis-based examine. And essentially what it is, you pick a time of day every single day, and with a set of questions, you ask yourself those same sets of questions every single day 
to allow yourself to have a structured look back over how the movement of the Spirit has been in your life, uh, day, 24-hour period to 24-hour period, what your response to that Spirit has been, both sinful or graceful, and where that puts you on today, looking forward to tomorrow, and with, with yesterday behind. So, for example, the one that I use, I do it at night as I first get into bed, and I, it starts with gratitude. To what can I give gratitude to God for the day that has just passed? Thank you, Lord, that I got to eat, that both my legs work, that my eyes still function, that my ears still, I can still drive, I, I can still contribute as a priest, um, that I, I was better for the most part than bad for the most part. You know, thank you for, for the you know, gratitude for the good things of God. The next one, there's five of them total. Number two is mercy. Did I practice mercy? Did I engage corporal works of mercy? And if the answer is no, to note that. And the no might not be because I denied a moment of mercy. It may be that I didn't hunt one out, that I didn't make the effort that day to say, I am lacking a act of mercy for my examine tonight. I need to go and find a place to be merciful. Failing that, you can always say, okay, I did not engage in an act of mercy today. Was someone merciful to me? Did the role get reversed? And can I offer that as an act of gratitude to God? So gratitude and mercy. The third one as a a kind of an inventory is compassion. Was I compassionate to somebody today? And that long line of cars as the lane was collapsed on one of the interstates because of road construction, was I one of those ones that put the front bumper of my car two inches from the back bumper of the car in front of me so that guy to the right that raced past everybody can't get in, I'm not letting him? Well, that's not very compassionate. Or did I say, grudgingly rolling my eyes, okay, I need to be compassionate here even though I don't like that this person can came up the, the, the free lane and wants to just jump in now, um, I'm going to be compassionate and let them in. So compassion. Uh, the fourth one is vigilance relative to temptation to sin. Was I vigilant in the temptations to sin? Um, this has uh, been very good practice for restorative justice ministry specifically because, as I've mentioned before, the evil one loves to, to romp around and have his way if he can get it. It's up to us to tell him no, and vigilance is one of those ways that we do that. And then the last one is courage, and this is courage based upon exhibiting love, particularly when it hurts. You know, I don't like you, and yet I know that in this moment— that God has given me, I can express that to you and make it abundantly clear that I don't like you. But instead, courage says, I am to present to you a genuine love, not a fake love, but a genuine love, even though like isn't much part of it. And courage is what takes us there. And so those would, those, that's one of the ways that I, that I stay that, that kind of processing uh, aspect. Another one, and this is kind of, individual to you. Different people are going to connect with, with different things. But I would say, go back to your basics, basics of your faith. Uh, stay in touch with what your spiritual foundation is. For instance, a slow recitation of the profession of faith. Most of us are exposed to the creed or profession of faith on Sundays. 
And in most of those moments in the lives of our liturgy, the profession of faith tends to be spoken in a rather rapid-paced tone, some more so than others, depending on where you worship. In the basics uh, processing, uh, you just sit there with the creed and, and slowly, I believe in the first thing, and I believe in the second thing, take it in. Because what that's going to do is allow you to bridge over what you've experienced in your restorative justice ministry with what you said you believe. Am I actually practicing what I preach? It's a great way to hold yourself accountable, to spur yourself to new heights, and to lick your wounds if you have blown it, because we all do, and some of us more often than others, knowing that this is the faith that I profess that also includes forgiveness of sins. And that that will get me up and going the next time when I go in. Um, for we preach specifically, um, when I was going through a uh, two-week retreat that was was meant to be a reflection on the, the time of service and restorative justice ministry, I went back to the Second Vatican Council, the decree on the ministry and life of priests, Presbyterium Ordinus. And I know I probably didn't pronounce that correctly. Um, in fact, our bishop uh, recently quoted from this same document at one of our priest gatherings as a, a way to encourage us, and it was it was beautiful. So I'll give, give you an example. This is on the decree on the ministry and life of priests from the Second Vatican Council. This is in Chapter 2. The task of priests is not to teach their own wisdom, but God's Word, and to summon all men urgently to conversion and to holiness. See what that would do for you as, as a priest, you know, that you can, you can get off into your own agendas, you can get off into your own political views, your own economic views, your own uh, church views. This is kind of one of those, I'm going to process how I presented myself in the ministry as priest, and this allows me to hold myself accountable to a standard that isn't my own, although I need to make it my own, at the standard of the church. And here's an, another example. Priests should remember that uh, priests should remember that in performing their tasks, they are never alone. This is for all of us, relying on the power of Almighty God and believing in Christ, who called them to share in His priesthood. They should devote themselves to their ministry with complete trust, knowing that God can intensify in them the ability to love. I really like that one because on the days when I'm really beating myself up for an inability to love a particular individual in a particular circumstance, and I'm really unhappy with myself because I'm doing the processing of that day, I read this one and I am reminded that it is God that can lift me up past my own human frailty and intensify my ability to love in the name of Jesus Christ. So there's, there's hopefulness there. And then the last one, uh, this again is from the decree on priestly life. The task of priests is—oh, I already did that one. That's a repeat. Let's say it again. The task of priests is not to teach their own wisdom, but God's Word and to summon all men urgently to conversion and to holiness. Folks, that's not just for priests. That's for all of us. We all get full up with the things that are dear to our hearts, especially with politics and especially with stuff that has to do with the economy. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're meant to bring our Catholicism into that public forum. But when we're in the trenches serving people in prison, 
we really want to kind that we want to stick to what it is that we're there for, which is to bring the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, not to be a representative for a political party or for an economic system or, or whatever it might be. Um, certainly our religion will flavor how we enter into those arenas, but we're there in the prisons to bring the good news of, of Jesus Christ. And the last one I would recommend for, for self and for all is confession. Just your, your standard issue, good examination of conscience before you go to the sacrament of penance and reconciliation to hold yourself accountable for the ways in which you have sinned in your duties as a volunteer, but also with that flip side, which is the more important one, in holding myself accountable, I'm fired up to do that because I'm looking forward to the love of God that is his mercy and his forgiveness. And if I can be fired up for that for myself, then I can be fired up for that for those who sometimes in the prison setting see themselves as unforgivable because of the crimes that they have committed. Staying in tune with that as a way of processing for yourself allows you to share that same thing with the people that you serve. When you've done your, your processing, your reflections, are there any themes that have arisen over time? Well, there are. And uh, the top of that list we will spend time with in our next episode um, because at the top of that list is the theme of, as I have served the incarcerated and the corrections officers that are there with them, I find that in the serving, I receive more than I give. And you, Deacon Ronnie, uh, when you were, you know, prepping me for my initial entry into this uh, ministry, that was one of the things I remembered you telling me, that um, for one thing, it'll stretch you, uh, that, that you will um, you will, you will be, what was that word that you used? It wasn't stretched. It was uh, chiseled. Chiseled, of yeah. course. It will chisel you. The cross will chisel you. Yes, sir. And, right. uh, and yet, at the same time, as that chiseling goes on in the midst of, of the lives of these souls that are serving time and the people that are tending to them and the persons of the corrections officers, you also realize that God is abundantly blessing you and that he is allowing you to receive from him grace and mercy from the very people that you are meant to serve. And of course, we priests experience that in our parochial life and in other specialized ministries, but the prison version of that has its own flavor. And, and it comes, I think, for a lot of us in surprising ways because, again, when we bring preconceived notions about what, who prisoners are and what prison life is like, you, you uh, don't expect to have that happen. And you, then you get there and you realize that, indeed, God, the Holy Spirit, the love of God poured out in our hearts, the old Augustine, our hearts are restless till they rest in you, is abundantly present there. It isn't all evil all the time. It is a lot of grace flowing through those halls and throwing through the cell blocks and throwing through the dormitories and flowing in, in, the, in the community at worship. And you begin to say to yourself, wow, if these folks under these conditions can be trying their, their best to stay in tune with the love of God and the teachings of the church and drawing closer to the Lord and presenting him to others, I, I know that I'm contributing to something that really gives me a sense of personal worth, of doing God's will, uh, of overcoming my sins so that, that you know, essentially I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be penitential in, in the way that, that, that I serve and happy that God has allowed me into this moment to learn that his love is present everywhere. 
and potentially in everyone who opens him by, up to him by their will, and that that grace is abundant even among those who find themselves living the life of the incarcerated. I'm, I, I just ask you, Deacon Ronnie, is there anything else you'd want to add to that in the, the little bit of remaining time that we have? Well, I, I, Father, I thank you so much for the the, the good um, layout of, of the what would be important practices and healthy practices always uh, would just invite anyone who's discerning a call to um, this ministry to uh, in their discernment, uh, always to keep in forward them uh, what God is asking you to do. Um, because that may be different from what you're maybe going in there to do. So if you can always keep it in, before you um, what God has asked you to do, and just stay with that. I mean, I think that helps form the boundaries that would be uh, most helpful in terms of just uh, exercising your ministry. And the rest is none of your business. I mean, that's just a simple answer, but it's a very powerful answer if you can kind of just keep that in the back of their mind. Absolutely. And and to get your interest peaked because of things that you've learned while you were there, that's something to monitor as well. You know, gossip is something that all of us have to be challenged with when we live in small and large communities. There's plenty of things that you can learn about people in prison that you can gossip about. You don't want to do it. We want to remember that phrase that all of us need to have on on the tips of our tongues as we go forward in trying to evangelize, which is, in all things, charity. We give thanks to God for you who are listening today, and we give thanks to God for those that we serve. Amen. Brother, if you walk with me, brother, 